Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we are here at this moment because of our confidence that you are good. Or at least a desire to have a confidence that you are good. We are here because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We are here because in your love you have spoken. You have spoken in this word. You have given us this book so that we can know you, so that we can worship you, so that we can live lives in response to you. But would you now illumine these words for us? Even familiar ones like the ones we read now can become dull and dark. And so would you shine the light of your spirit on our time so that we could see, so that we could know, so that we could taste your goodness. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I have a friend who was recently married, and a few weeks before his wedding, he received in the mail a summons to jury duty, and a summons to appear in court on the day of his wedding. Not the most convenient or desirable time for jury duty. Now, of course, there are exceptions, and he was able to get out of that. But it made me think of this. Is there ever a good, desirable, convenient time for jury duty? Is there ever a good time to be summoned? And even more generally, I don't think most of us enjoy being summoned. We don't enjoy someone intruding on our schedule our priorities and saying, forget those, you have to do this. You have to be here at this time and for this length of time. We don't enjoy being summoned. But do you realize that every Sunday morning, we begin our time here together with a summons, with a call to worship. With God authoritatively demanding that we gather and we worship Him. And that call echoes not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And you can hear it here in Psalm 100 in these relentless imperatives. Make, come, serve, enter. Give thanks, bless, 
God summons us. He calls us to worship. But again, we don't like being summoned. So what do we do? What do we do with these demands here in Psalm 100? What do we do with the demanding call to worship? Well, this morning I want us to consider this poem. And I want us to ask three questions. What is the call to worship? How should we respond to that call? And why should we respond to that call? First of all, what is it? What is this call to worship? Notice the last command in this psalm. It's in verse 4. It tells us to bless his name. And a name dominates this poem. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Know the Lord. For the Lord is good. And remember that Lord in all capitals is the way that we translate into English the Hebrew name of God. The name that he revealed to his people through Moses. And he gave them that name as a part of establishing and developing a covenant with them. The gift of his name is an essential element of the privileged and committed relationship between God and his people. Where he says, I am your God. And you are my people. So the call to worship is a summons to relationship. It is a summons to the maintenance, to the growth, to the development of a covenant between God and his people. Call to worship is a summons to relationship. That's why this psalm not only has commandments to action, it also has invitations to a place. Come into his presence. Enter his gates. Enter his courts. This is temple language. This is God's people being invited to the place where there is an earthly representation of and connection to God's heavenly throne. The people are invited there and there they converse with God. They hear his word, his promises, his commandments. They receive his gifts and they respond with their gratitude, faith and obedience. You see... While the place has changed because of Jesus, this dynamic hasn't. Worship is a conversation. Worship is a conversation that involves words, but is more than words. It is a conversation that embraces what we do here on Sunday morning, but it also embraces the rest of your life. Worship is a dialogue in which God reveals and gives himself to you. And then invites your response. Worship is a conversation. It is a place where we hear, I am your God. And you are my people. And the call to worship 
It's like gravity. It draws us into the orbit of this dialogue in which God gives himself, reveals himself, and asks for us to respond. And we were made for this conversation. We were created to live in the presence of God and to hear from Him, I am yours, you are mine, and then to live out the full implications of that identity and relationship in all of life. We were made for this conversation. Did you notice how this poem isn't addressed to a specific ethnic identity? It is not, make a joyful noise, all you Israelites. No, it's making a joyful noise, all the earth. Why? Because creation exists for this conversation. Creation exists to be in this dialogue, in this type of relationship with God where he is committed to us and we are committed to him. And so, in worship, we are most fully human. In worship, you are most truly yourself. And see, to resist, to push against, to despise the summons, the call to worship, is not only to reject God's authority, it is to reject your full humanity. And we, when we do that, when we push against this summons, when we try to live independent of God, to live with our own internal dialogue, we're like tigers in the zoo. Isn't it sad to see tigers in the zoo? These, these animals that were built to hunt. Magnificent, powerful animals pacing in front of glass. Thrown food that doesn't try to escape. They weren't made for that. It's the same for us. When we try to live our lives outside of God's call and summons to worship Him. We weren't made for that. Our culture says, be yourself. And then it imposes on us the cage of of autonomy and self-reliance. Psalm 100 and the rest of scripture says, be yourself. And then releases us for this profound purpose of living in conversation. Gracious and loving conversation with our creator. That's the call. That's what we are being called to. But second question, how should we respond? If we are called to a conversation, what is our role in that dialogue? Well, the worship conversation, it's a little bit like a musical. And we are all cast in the role of chorus. And so our job in response to the call is to make noise. Our role is to sing in response to God's summons. thought about this what what is it about singing that makes it so important so essential to christian worship so important 
for how we respond to God. What is it about singing? Well, think about it this way. In our culture, apart from church, when else do we gather and do group singing? A bunch of people will do it tomorrow night at 8.30 for the national championship game. A bunch of people did it on Saturdays throughout this fall season at Dope Campbell. Why? Why do we sing and chant at sporting events? It's because there are desires, there are celebrations that cannot be expressed by just talking. There are longings, there are delights that cannot be expressed by just talking. We have to sing. Our role in the worship conversation is to show up and to express God is my highest desire. He is my deepest delight. And because that's our role, We sing. You see, this covenant relationship, it is not a cold, contractual arrangement. It is a love affair. And so, when St. Augustine was asked, why do Christians make music in worship? He responded, only the lover sings. Only the lover sings. Sings. We come in worship to a great king. We come before a throne. We come before transcendent authority. But we do not come to offer begrudging, dutiful submission. We come to offer glad surrender. Joyful celebration. We come to offer the songs of God's lover. Now... I imagine that is discouraging for some of you. And that's discouraging for some of you because this morning, you're not feeling it. And and not just this morning, maybe a lot of mornings, you're not feeling it. And here's the deal. I'm the pastor, okay? A lot of Sunday mornings, I'm not feeling it either. I don't always show up with an overwhelming desire for God. I don't always show up with an intense delight in God. I don't always experience that on Sundays. I certainly don't always experience that other days of the week. That's why the focus is on expression, not experience. The focus is on expression, not experience. It's why habits matter. It's why external spiritual habits matter. It's why we have a liturgy. See, yes, the goal, the goal is to have a heart that longs for God, that deeply enjoys God. Yes, that's the goal. But these habits, these practices that we do, the pattern of our liturgy, it helps our hearts move towards that goal, even when we don't feel it. Because... When you show up on Sunday and sing, even when you're not feeling it, you are not only expressing something to God, you are saying to your own body, to your own soul, God is the end of all my desires. 
When you practice prayer, some version of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're not only expressing something to God, which is important and essential, but you are also saying to your own body, to your own soul, He is my deepest delight. He is the greatest pleasure. So habits help. But although habits help, ultimately, our joyful response to the worship summons will come by asking a third question. Why? Why should we respond to God in this way? Why should we respond to the call to worship with glad celebration? Why should we do that? Now, you can answer the question and say, because he deserves it. He's worthy of it. And if you said that, you'd be right. That's true. He is worthy of it. He does deserve our joy and our gladness. But the Bible never stops there. Scripture always takes a step further than that. Twice, the poetry of Psalm 100 lands on reasons for responding to the summons. In verse 3 and verse 5. In verse 3, it starts with God's worthiness. He is God. He has made us. He is the creator. He is worthy of our praises, of our gratitude, of our joy, of our gladness. Yes, he is worthy. But then do you notice how it takes the next step? It moves from his worthiness to our belongingness. We are his. We are his flock. He protects us. He provides for us. And then verse 5 says, God, the Lord is not only God, but He is also good. His love is not like our experience of other loves. It is not capricious and conditional. His love is steadfast. It is sure and certain and lasting. See, the response of joy, the response of glad singing, Happens not because of our situation, but because of his character and his actions. And it happens not only because of who he is, which is important, but it happens because of who he is for us. The glad response of singing, of joy, of delight happens because... Of who he is for us. But how do we know that? How do we know that God is good? How do we know that he loves us with a faithful and a steadfast love? How do we know who he is for us? In Jesus. It is by faith in Jesus. That we know those things. Jesus is the true temple. The presence of God. The giver of the presence of God. The founder of a new covenant. Jesus is the embodiment of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus in his broken but raised body. Is the ultimate demonstration. God is good. That He is good. 
and that he loves us. And so Jesus is the only source of our joyful noise. He is the only true source of our joyful noise. It is only in the gospel, the message about him, that we learn to sing. Do you know how this room will be filled week after week with genuine jubilation in response to God? It's not a result of the skill of our musicians. It's not a result of the skill of your pastor. It is the result of a community soaked in the gospel. Owned by the truth of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. It will happen in a community that is awake to the truth of forgiveness and the reality of God's presence with us. Do you know how your life will be full of the profound joy, an undercurrent of gratitude that we find in Psalm 100? It is when you are soaked in the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done for you. You see, we are mockingbirds. We learn to sing by listening. Our song comes from what we hear. And so this high calling to a joyful noise will happen in us as we listen to the music of the gospel. And because of the gospel, because of that message about Jesus, the summons, the call to worship, it's not a summons to jury duty. It is a summons. And it comes from a voice that has authority far beyond the U.S. justice system. But in the end, because of Jesus, it's a wedding invitation. It's a wedding invitation. Not someone else's wedding. It is an invitation to your own wedding. It is an invitation to the delight, to the celebration of who God is for us. Will you listen and give your life to making a joyful noise? Let's pray.